We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat joining me. Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham. Sean, you're back. I'm. I am back. I am here. <laughs> I'm here. Present. Present and accounted for. Hello, That's guys. Right. And of course, we have uh, Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast, and let's see, the Kings Herald, and and you do other stuff as well. What's going on, Brendan? Not too much, James. I think I could use a spicier intro. I'm not going to lie. Sean gets this whole like Fox Forty and the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse podcast. Like, no, I I got to church it up a little bit, but <laughs> Fox Forty is one of those ones that like it has a name that rhymes and like it makes fair sense. enough. And, I get you it. know, it sounds like it hurts. And then when Brendan, he's just got to list <laughs> off like a laundry list, so it's like okay, uh, Brendan's got the Sacramento Bee, what, like whatever, like just starts <laughs> random them off. Brennan's <laughs> everywhere. He's everywhere. Uh, He's on oh, his yeah. soapbox too. If you're not, if you didn't grow up a Kings fan, oh boy, is he pissed at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I learned uh, about that recently. That was can't say where, but yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, we're fresh off of the off the record with the Kings beat virtual happy hour part seven. Deuce is wild. We had that last night um, on Thursday. That's why the podcast is a day late because we had too many things going on. Uh, man, Deuce was good. He told some great stories, dug deep into his past, and like uh, all all of the things that you think you might know about Deuce, he kind of put it all out there. I thought it was amazing. Um, we had these two guys showed up: Sean Cunningham, Brendan Nunez, and of course uh, we had Damon Barling show up and and converse for a little while. I, it was it was a lot of fun. If you're not a premium subscriber to the Kings Beat, uh, you're missing out. The happy hours are the bomb. Um, we're really having a good time with them. And the response from people have been really, really strong. So uh, jump on board and, and, you know, maybe next time we'll have one very soon because uh, we missed in June because I had the COVID and the whole month was like shot. 
Um, but uh, we definitely will have one coming up here in early August, hopefully. The next uh, one will have an even longer name. It will have even a longer name. It will, it'll be part eight for sure, but uh, I like expanding the name out and making it ridiculous. It's, I think it's the best way to do It's to very do. Indiana Jones-like when you, you know, all these, <laughs> all these part whatevers. I guess okay. although Indiana Jones didn't really change his name, but you always had Last Crusade or, you know, some sort of, yeah. maybe it's Star Wars. I don't know. <laughs> Shaw doesn't know. Episode four. Episode Fast four. and Furious. The new, the new hope. The yeah. new hope. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Brendan, Star Wars is a yeah, uh, we science go. fiction film a series from, from the 70s the, by Ger- the George Lucas. 70s. The, 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 yes, uh, late 70s. Holy. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about that really quick? Because you got really half-cocked when you learned that some Kings fans didn't start Kings fans, and I was super amused. Did I? Uh, what are you Yeah, you what got you very angry. Okay, it's the one thing maybe we can talk about from because uh, I was worried, man. From the I happy was hour, worried. yeah. From the happy hour, you found out that there were some uh, advanced. How do I want to be kind when I say this? Some people of elder age who were here before the kings actually, you know, started in Sacramento in '85, and some yeah. of them had began their NBA fanships as possibly Laker fans, possibly Warrior fans, possibly. I think we had one guy who was a Bucks fan, and Brendan wasn't having it. <laughs> we had one guy uh, on the podcast uh, on, on the happy hour. Um, well, it was Jim and it was Steven that that were talking. But wasn't was he, it, he? I think he was coming at you though, too, James. It was kind of funny because. Yeah, I, I think it was. I it loved was, it. It was Jim though that uh, that had gone to. He saw a, a game at the Cow Palace, and he watched Wilt Chamberlain versus. Uh, Bill Russell with John Havlicek, right, as his first game ever. Yeah, I mean that that's amazing. Um, yeah, but like when you're, <laughs> if you're from Sacramento before, there was like I think Stephen was pissed because he did he was a Warriors fan uh, before a Kings fan. But like when I grew up here, and there was no Kings, it was the Lakers and Celtics were so strong. Hang on, I'm gonna sneeze. Oh, I chew. Oh, there you go. I chew. Oh, boy. I blew it because I couldn't actually hit the mute button. I slipped uh, off. Oh, okay, no, you hit so, it. Oh, uh, no. I think there's some lingering. Yeah, I'm okay, though. I'm okay. all right. I'll, I'll survive. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, like before, there were Sacramento Kings in 1985. Like everyone else had a team. Like I, I was a Lakers fan growing up, like from <gasps> dun, up until dun, dun. age 10. But it's like the Magic what is Johnson era. wrong with you? It's like the the most spectacular basketball, you know, of that time. And that team was so stacked. It was crazy. Like, the whole team is like Hall of Famers. Um, yeah, so I, I think it is interesting that people don't know. Like, before there was Kings, like, I, I was old enough to remember pre-Kings. And then when the Kings got here, you're like, hey, it's hometown team. Like, Get them, Brendan. Start, Get them. You start watching. <laughs> Get them. I just... Yeah, anyways. You know, I, I just be choosing to be a Kings fan is pretty crazy to me. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> as much as I love this team and I'm happy to be covering it, I think it's pretty crazy to choose to be a Kings fan. You know, like, I admittedly jumped on a Celtics bandwagon when I was young, and James talked about being a Lakers fan when, when he was younger. Like, the Kings had their era, so I get when there was a time to jump on the Kings bandwagon, but... It's just, it's crazy to me. To choose to be a Kings fan, like, you really don't like yourself. 
I think most. <laughs> yes. I, I, I think he, he's right to a certain degree, but I also think that like fandom. Wow. It, it's usually regional, right? Like, right. You you follow one of, like here we have like two baseball teams that are geographically almost identical and in, in distance from where we live. You know, and if you're in Sacramento or where I live, it's still the same. Um, so you you choose. I chose to be an A's fan when I was young. It's the first game I ever went to, I was, you know, I was, I think I was 13. I leaned over the dugout and uh, Mark McGuire signed an 87 tops card for me. Um, so, you know, like when you're, when you're young, you choose your teams, either you're a Raider or a 49ers fan. Um, and for some reason, I like, I, I don't understand Raiders fans who stick with a team that has relocated like three times in some of these people's lifetime. Um, you know, to LA, back to Oakland, now to Vegas, and there's still Raiders fans from here. Um, that to me would be too much, but uh, you know, I don't know. You're an Ace fan too, by the way. So, yeah, yeah. Well, if they relocate, yeah. I, so buckle up. Yeah, no, I have two choices: either I dump baseball completely, or I become a free agent and find something else. I, I won't be an Ace fan in in uh, Las Vegas if that's where they go. I think the uh, orange and black could look pretty good on you, buddy. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nope, that won't happen. We're very that. welcoming, very welcoming community over there in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. You might have, might have talked about the Padres before, no? Well, yeah, yeah. Did. Me and my son, we were Don't talking like about it. We're like, hey, maybe we'll become Padres fans because one of my son's uh, best friends is he goes to San Diego State, and so he's down there, and you know. They could, he, we could go down and visit and all that stuff. That all is right, the so, most BS reason to be a Padres fan. Brendan, James. I wonder too if like, you know, for me where it's like, okay, I grew up in Sacramento. I grew up a Kings fan. Yes, I did. And, you know, <laughs> when you start doing, you know, journalism and stuff like that, you kind of got to throw that away. Yeah. Um, so, but like, I, I get what you're saying too. Like fan, people who like, you didn't grow up in the area. You just choose to be a Kings fan. Like what the hell's wrong with you? That's kind of funny. I get that. But you did choose to be a Celtics fan, right? So does that mean you didn't? Did you throw that away, or you? How does that work? When I became media, I guess you would say, yeah. Or, or did sure. you become like a certain? Age, did you become like an age even before that? Where you're like, when did? What year did you become like? A, where you said, oh, I'm planting my my fanship flag in Boston Celtics lore. When they got uh, the- 2008, uh, definitely the year they won the chip. But it, wow. it was I was watching the draft. My my dad was living in Arizona at the time. I was watching the draft, and they traded for Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. And I was just like, that's my team. So but admittedly, you were like totally jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, it's yeah, okay, yeah. It's okay to jump on the bandwagon when you're like 10. Yeah, I was like 10, 11. Yeah. I probably would have been a Warriors fan if... I didn't witness my dad just being pissed at them all the time because they were just the worst team ever. If they weren't hot garbage, I probably would have been more of a committed Warriors fan. Um, Yeah. And and my mom was, at the time, my parents split when I was super young. So my mom at the time was dating a Lakers fan. So it was like my family was split. So I felt uh, (laughs) I'm going to pick my own. And I jumped on a bandwagon. Intriguing. Intriguing. All right. Uh, I know some people don't like when we talk before we start a pod. I, yeah. Some people that. can screw off. Pound sand. Yeah. <laughs> Kick rocks, pound sand. Eat a you know what. <laughs> uh, there's some strong opinions from my uh, no, my I wouldn't co-host say that. here. No, I don't know about which uh, No, no, no. That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's get to it. Um, we got a couple of things uh, like news slash breaking news slash whatever. 
uh, it's fresh. Uh, first and foremost, um, Keegan Murray has undergone a minor surgical procedure to clear loose bodies from his right wrist. Uh, he's left-handed, but he shoots with his right. Uh, so he's actually still on the court shooting with his left all the time, but he's in a splint. And I couldn't really pin down how long he would be out for, but we're probably talking like a two to three week thing here. It's a it's a minor procedure. Um, and, uh, you know, this all started with uh, Kenyon Murray, um, of course, Keegan and uh, Chris's dad posting a couple of pictures while the Murray twins were, I think, getting inducted into their high school Hall of Fame. And uh, part of that, you saw Keegan was wearing a splint. And if they were, like, I guess if they were savvy, they could have said, oh, no, that's Chris, and just trying to blow it off. Um, but at the same time, Chris is hopefully going to go through the draft process next year, and what you don't want to do is have some injury lingering over him as a prospect. Um, Sean, you got anything? Any Anything interesting you've heard about this? It, it seems like it's pretty minor and yeah. not a big deal. Yeah, minor, not a big deal. Um you know, it's a, it's a, it's not something that would be expected to impact not only the season, but really training camp. Like, I don't think there's any belief that it's going to keep him out or stagger that or, you know, any, any kind of thing. But it is odd because, I mean, let's face it, it's an injury and it's a, when you say procedure, well, that, that's still surgery. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> uh, you were, you were, you were cut upon and, uh, you know, I, you should have a press release. You should have some a duration of your injury. But I think, look, it's just such a minor thing. And then here you are in the off season, and uh, you know I don't think it's supposed to be a lack of transparency. In fact, like I don't think anyone's angry over pictures getting out there. You know, I mean, I don't think they were trying to be secretive about it. It's just a matter of you know, it's not really going to be a big thing. Um, uh, but I would caution people is that. This organization over its tenure of me even covering the team has had some interesting injury scenarios. So, um, so what Sean is saying, know, it's possible that he had the whole hand cut off and yes, he will be a yeah. one-handed player from here on out. <laughs> through, through no fault of Keegan or his or his great father. <laughs> like It's just, you know, it, it, fans and, and even media alike are a little bit, they get that little... You know when Larry David, like, if you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, and he kind of, like, looks someone, and he's like, okay, okay. Like, he doesn't necessarily believe you. There's those moments because of the history of this team. So, um, look, this one's going to be very minor. I've talked to enough people where I believe them. There's no confidence in uh, – or there's no, you know, shadow of a doubt that, that, that <laughs> it's going to be a problem. But it's you can minor. understand – you can definitely understand people going, hey, <laughs> you know, what's this all about? Yeah, Totally. Uh, Brendan, what are your thoughts? Um, you, you draft a player, he has a great summer, all of a sudden there's a gigantic dark cloud. This could be a Tuesday overreaction. Oh, this is perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, just first thoughts? Well, obviously I've heard a lot of things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing things all the time, of course, and I don't think there's reason to be concerned. Um, I've heard nothing about the, the Keegan Murray injury, but... Based off what you guys said, I, like I'm not all too worried. Obviously, I, I think it is intriguing or maybe unideal in the way that it came out, like being pictures from his dad rather than the team maybe saying something about that. But I'm also not sure like 
how normal is it? This is something that I guess is uh, good for you guys to answer. Like, how normal is it for a small procedure to happen during the offseason and the team to keep quiet about it? Um, I don't know. I remember very specifically Bogdanovich undergoing a procedure on his knee, and they, they press release that. Um, but uh, also with wrists, I, I think it's interesting because, like, we saw Terrence Davis break a wrist last year uh, during the season. Um, Tyreek Halliburton broke his wrist, which ended his college career early, uh, and he didn't seem to be uh you know like bothered by the situation at all and we're in both of those situations we're talking about broken wrists not just like a minor scope um you know again anytime you do get cut on that's that's not a great thing but uh i think it's at least good that you know we're hearing a little bit here and there about where it's at and that it's okay and it's not a big deal and and the team doesn't consider it a substantial issue at all i think the team was going to do it i think it's just you know as they're uh, I, I think you know un- it's unfortunate that the pictures maybe surfaced before the team had a chance to you know kind of get their ducks in a line. Um, it, it might be a little bit of a learning lesson there, but um, you know it, it just kind of is what it is. Where you know it's minor, it's still the off season. You know, uh, not to make excuses like that. It's 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 unusual. It should have been a press release probably right away. But again, it doesn't it doesn't really matter the significance of the injury right now because here we are in in july and well almost a few more days before august so still a month and a half or so away from even guys getting ready for camp or getting there for camp and um september is where everything kind of crams in there but yeah i mean you get anytime you have an injury you've got a duration of injury and things like that so um this one is again i think the the message is pretty clear that that they're not expecting it to linger and be anything serious so um yeah It'll be fun. Uh, it's a. Uh, it'll be fun to I, you know. Again, if this, but however, if it blows up in their face and this kid's still got a wrap on his wrist a week into training camp, or he can't play, or whatever, then that's when, that's when things, you know, the little, the little peculiar and the and the the pessimism will definitely, um, you'll know why, and then they'll they'll be hearing about it. Yeah, if like you go to like shake his hand to meet him, and he won't shake your hand with his right hand, it'll be like. Okay, what's going on here? Yeah, no. I, I mean, he's going to be fine. He's going to As be long fine. as he doesn't go full Marvin Bagley and has two functional hands while playing basketball, I'm happy. Yeah, I, I mean, that, isn't that, like, that was always the issue that I had. It's like, if you're going to break your left hand and you're a guy who has never been strong with your right hand, why wouldn't you stick around and work with the training staff and try to develop your right hand for a month while you're rehabbing? Just That's just me. Um, okay, so let's get to the other bit of news. Uh, the Sacramento Kings have signed a franchise-changing reserve point guard that will change the win total and everything else. Matthew Delavadova is back in the NBA after missing last season, and he is a Sacramento King on a non-guaranteed one-year deal or partially guaranteed one-year deal. Um, you know, Brendan, uh, is this... Is this a guy that will change anything? Are, are you – I know, like, Bryant West is out there, like, celebrating. He may actually, like, like have, <laughs> have a drink this morning to celebrate. Maybe he's drinking a mimosa or something to, like, to celebrate. Delavadova is a Sacramento king. But um, this is, like, a steady hand that it can at least help out here and there. Um, is he the guy that you would have chosen? Is What are your thoughts? 
Well, Bryant West might be celebrating because he's a St. Mary's guy, and Del Vidova is also a St. Mary's guy, so that might have a little bit to do with it. Um, I don't, I mean, no, Delhi does not change anything. I think that the Kings needed a third string point guard. Yep. It, and it's just a, if Fox or Davion go down for a handful of games, like I, I think that you're going to see 15, 20 games that Delhi gets like actual minutes. And in my mind, it's in the case of injuries. And I don't think it's significant minutes in any of those moments, even like I probably would try Malik Monk or Kevin Herter out there as the primary playmakers before I'm even looking towards uh, Matthew Delvadova and just running the offense a little bit more through Sabonis. So, like, I think he's good. He's fine. Depth. He's a third-string point guard. Like, not going to get all too much run, and he's a fine breaking case of emergency type player, but certainly doesn't change the trajectory of anything. I think if there's any swing skill when it comes to Delhi, it's what level of three-point shooter is he going to be this year? Because he's a career 36% three-point shooter, but... 1920, he shot 23%. In 1819, he shot 33%. 37 the year before, there's a year of 41%. So I think the coin you're flipping is kind of what level of three-point shooter he's going to be, and that's the swing skill for him. But either way, like it, it's a solid signing. I'm glad that the Kings got a third-string point guard. They definitely needed one, but it doesn't change anything in my mind. Yeah, and it's really, hey, Mike Brown's familiar with the guy. He's spent time with him. Uh, my biggest question is, can you still play? Can you be that guy who can play at a high level? Uh, we know you're, you know, a pretty uh, savvy basketball player, pretty, pretty smart, high basketball IQ. He's going to work hard, um, and he's he fits a lot of intangibles, but he's also longer in the tooth. And I don't know if he can still play. I mean, those are legit questions. I have no idea if the guy can still be even half the player that he used to be. But one of the things, as long as Mike Brown is uh, believes in him and thinks that he can still contribute then that gives me all the confidence uh because they like we've talked about it for weeks they needed another they needed a third guard they need somebody who can is capable of being that guy who can come in maybe for stretches and also probably and maybe for fill in for injuries um they need to they need a practice player they need someone who's going to be there they need to know someone who's going to know the system and the other thing i think is a little fascinating um just a little backstory if you know anything about his story coming from Australia, a guy named David Patrick was a huge part of that. Well, David Patrick is now the Sacramento State Hornets basketball coach uh, who landed Delavadova uh, with St. Mary's and guys like Patty Mills at St. Mary's and even famously Ben Simmons, who didn't go to St. Mary's, but helped get him from Australia over to the U.S. and, um, and recruited him and coached him. Uh, and David Patrick is now in Sacramento and has been a pretty familiar face around uh, the Kings organization, especially since Mike Brown has been there. So a uh, little, little just kind of nugget there and a little familiarity will go a long way with, uh, with these guys. So um, people who are very comfortable with one another, uh, and uh, you're trying to build on something here. So uh, it's definitely a veteran, and it's definitely someone who has competed at all <laughs> levels of the game. So I think it could have a, a good impact on the team. Yeah, Sean just clearly just said that uh, Ben Simmons is coming to Sacramento. There that's it is. That Boom. That's a, that's a secret tie right there, the secret tie <laughs> that gets Ben Simmons to Sacramento. Um, let's see, uh, Del Vidova, he's, he's 31, he's almost 32. Um, he did not play in the league last year. Uh, when he did last play in 2020-21, it was only 13 games, and over his previous four years, he'd only played 118 total games. That 
I, I think that's what Sean's talking about. Like, can he even still play? And I think that that's a big question mark. And he's a savvy guy. He's also a tough guy. He's a, a, a guy that doesn't mind mixing it up and, and causing a little bit of trouble. Um, there's been times where he's been called a dirty player. Um, I would like to see the Kings get a little of that, like, intensity behind Absolutely. the scenes. Absolutely. And so, like, while he's not I, – I mean, would you call him a dog or – I'm not sure. No, that that's reserved for Keon Ellis. Yeah, maybe. Excuse yeah, me. there you go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this kind of reminds me – I brought this up to Brendan earlier. Um, he, of course, doesn't remember, remember this at all, but uh, Sean <laughs> would remember that the Kings brought in Jordan Farmar uh, during the Dave Yeager era, and it was he only played two games in a Kings uniform, and most people forget that he actually played in Sacramento. But he's a guy that came into training camp and was like, a steady influence was able to help sort of implement oh. some of the ideas okay. that Jaeger was putting on the court, uh, you know, as more of like a coach on the court. Like if he was not young... good. No. Well, I didn't think he, he was, was done. Yeah, he, he was done. The guy yeah. was done. He had a pretty decent offensive game. I think the second game, if I remember correctly, but he was. And the then they, they, and then they cut him. Shot. Yeah. yeah. That um, was like the, the take the horse to pasture. And blow his brains out, and that's that's exactly Jesus. what happened. Jesus. I'm sorry, man. That's what happened. The guy never Sean, played basketball again. Sean just Holy. took Jordan Farmer to the Blue Factor. I remember, I dude. I Some remember looking at Jordan. Animal Farm stuff going on right here, Sean. I, I looked at an, I looked at I looked at one of their executives in the eye, and I said, "What is this? What like, is this? This this is not an NBA player, man." Yeah, sorry. Well, I think that's what. Sean is is you know you know he's he's got I'm, the I'm gun more, out and he's ahead. oiling it <laughs> he's oiling the gun just in case it's needed for this situation <laughs> like <laughs> he'll be stalking the players' parking lot ready to put uh, Matthew Delavadova out to pasture if he if he's done. I'll be um, honest when I saw it. Look, summer league is a, uh, a a a haven for people looking for jobs both on the court and off the court and when I saw Matthew Delvadova initially I was like huh I wonder whose front office he's going to land on or or what what coaching staff he's going to land in or maybe he's training guys or, or whatever didn't see him in the running for third guard of the Sacramento Kings but you know funnier things have happened yeah Clearly, but I, I mean that's a it's a good point though because I think um if he doesn't work out as a player there is a possibility that he just transitioned straight to like a coaching staff position because yeah. why not? The Kings are, are rolling deep this year. They're, <laughs> they're pulling out all the stops. They're going to have like a 17 man coaching staff, uh, which is for me, if it's, if it's a one-to-one ratio player to coaching staff, eh, who cares? Like if someone's going to pay the bill for it, that's fine with me. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I don't think Delavadova is going to change the, you know, what's going to happen this season in Sacramento. If he does actually get on the floor, it might be just for a few minutes here and there. And, you know, you did need a third point guard. Look, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope, he, I hope he can still play because I love watching the guy play. He's a fun player, um, very entertaining, and he's, in, he's impactful. I just I – just, that's my biggest question. This guy, can he still play? And I would bet against it, but if they feel confident in it, great. Let's, let's see it. Okay, so it kind of brings us to a different discussion, and that is um, – Who's the most likely out of this group of secondary players to actually make an impact on the team? I mean, we're looking at uh, Chima, we're looking at KZ, we're looking at Chemezi Metu, Alex Len, Terrence Davis. 
um, Keon Ellis, Trey Lyles, now Della Vadova, uh, even uh, Nemeas Keita. Um, like, the Kings have, you know, their rotation looks like it's reasonably set at this point, barring a major trade between now and the start of the season. And so we know that, again, like Fox and Mitchell are going to play most of the minutes at the one. The Herder and Monk are going to play most of the minutes at the two. Uh, the, T, uh, the HB and maybe Herder or Monk are going to play a bunch of minutes at the three. Keegan, maybe Trey Lyles at the four. Sabonis, Holmes. But outside of that, who do you guys, who are you kind of circling and saying, I'm intrigued to see what they can bring to the table? Well, first of all, it's disrespectful that you listed, you grouped Keon Ellison with that listing. I, I think that he's just far and away the best player in that group, and I'm personally offended. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Terrence Davis. I, I think that from the guys that you listed, he has one year left on his contract, kind of want to see what you have with him. And I think there were moments, like specifically when the Kings first traded for him, there was that second half of the season where he looked really solid. Like if he has a year where the ball is going down from beyond the arc um, and his percentages from from range are solid, then I think that there is an opportunity for him to have a chance on this team. Like, I think there's moments, like you mentioned, where Herder plays the three, or maybe even TD is playing the three a little bit here and there, because the depth at the three is maybe not the most ideal. So I think that I'm going with Terrence Davis, and I I think on most rotations, he probably would have a 15-minute a night type of role like we saw him play a solid role in Toronto it's just the Kings out of nowhere have a lot of two guard depth so I don't know how much opportunity he'll get but I, I think that out of those guys you mentioned I'm going with TD Sean what do you got hmm. uh, I'm a little conflicted I, I think it's uh, uh, just to play the game the silly silly game I think I'd probably lean towards two players and i think there's three that i'm thinking of and they all kind of play right around the same position which is you know it's the chimezi metu trey lyles kind of position possibly someone like chima moneki because i think how you define impactful players it will differ to certain people because i think a lot of people are just solely focused on offensive numbers a lot of the times and all oh, this guy can score like someone like trey lyles he can come in and probably get you 12 points 10 to 12 points and, and, and stretch the floor a little bit. And you saw it in stretches last year. I mean, shoot, when he came to the team, I think he had two games where he was up there. 20, he had that one 25-point game, I think it was. I mean, it was a big number he put up. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, somebody like that, and then I think a fan will say, oh, that's super impactful. It's like, okay, yeah, it is. But when you look at what guys can provide defensively and length on the floor, and I think that can be also defined as impactful in a bigger way because this team – has added so many things that scoring should not be a problem. So I feel like a guy like Chemezi Metu and even Chima Maneki, who is known for impact, impacting the game in a positive way, um, even though we don't really know what, what it might look like, we don't know if he might even be a rotational player at all. So um, I think it has potential to be somebody like Chima Maneki, but I think the really two guys that will really maybe be the most impactful, depending upon what the role becomes in my opinion would be Trey Lyles and Chemezi Metu and I'd probably lean more to Chemezi Metu at this point interesting I think I'd even go a different way than both of you guys I think Terrence Davis is is going to be there like he's going to be a guy that you you have to balance out what how does he play where does he fit into the grand scheme of things 
Yeah, and I thought he played really well at the small forward position last year when they gave him that opportunity uh, before he got hurt. And I also know that coming into like the season last year, he had lit like behind the scenes. He hit everything. Like they said, he was by far their best three point shooter, and that was with you know guys like Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Hield. They said he was just like he hit everything in training camp, and they were surprised that he got off to a slow start, and surprised that the season kind of went the way that it did. So I'm I'm going to look at him as a potential backup small forward at this point, or at least a player that you can play, um, you know, in smaller three guard sets and stuff. I'm slightly concerned about his mix mixing with Malik Monk because I do think they're similar players, and I also think that they're players that are like they're fun but they also on occasion make mistakes and sometimes putting two of those guys together is like a a bad mix. Um, But outside of Terrence, and and again, I can see Sean's point with, uh, with Metu and even like, I don't know what Chima Moneki is going to look like at all. Well, like, I don't think anyone really has an idea what he's going to look like on an NBA floor. Um, But Trey Lyles makes a lot of sense too. But I think that Casey Akpala has an opportunity because of the way the roster is constructed to be a guy who sees some solid minutes at the three if he's the backup to to Harrison Barnes. I think the competition for who's going to be the backup small forward is kind of interesting. I, I think Terrence Davis is in the running there. I think Monecki's in the running. I think Akpala and, you know, you know, there's even Herter should get some minutes at the three but they need to find somebody that can play that position. So I'm intrigued by him, uh, by Apollo, because he's just so long and athletic, and he really can be a shutdown defender. What kind of, he reminds me of like, at at a minimum, I think he's going to be what Mo Harkless has been the last couple of years for this team. And that's not because I, like, I don't want to like downgrade who, you know, Mo Harkless is, but he just really wasn't that good offensively at all and hurt you. And even though he was such a negative on the offensive end, the Kings were like almost 500 when he started. So I think he can be one of those players that has a bigger impact on the game than actually looks in the, in the, the box score just because of his skill set. And if for some reason he figured out how to shoot a three, then I think you can actually you know count on him for being a, a player. So that's that a would big be if. That's a very big if. Yeah. <laughs> Do, do you think I, he's yeah. you think he's playing rotational minutes uh, pretty early on, or do you think it's like situational and if he proves himself? I think it's going to depend on what the Kings are looking for. If if they struggle defensively, you have to turn to defensive players, and he is a defensive player. You know, we watched uh, even if you watch some of the Nigerian national team, they used Apala against some of the the best players, the best games. Yeah, yeah, against perimeter players all over the place. And he was able to hold his own. He's, he's got great length. He was in a great program and with the Miami Heat. Um, it didn't work out there because, you know, they turned to some players that were a little older and a little more seasoned and, and did things that, you know, maybe a little bit better. And so I, I don't know. He's a guy that's intriguing to me. Like, you got to find a diamond in the rough if you're the Kings. And, you know, I think Chima Moneki is one of those guys that could be a diamond in the rough, but... I think Casey Akpala could be as well. Am I crazy? No, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think for Mezzi, this kind of feels, and maybe I'm being overdramatic with this, but it almost feels like a make or break season. Like, I, I think I saw him 
there were moments last year where Mezzi looked really good. Obviously, he had that game winner against, I believe it was Utah. Um, he, he had his moments. He also had moments where he was, you know, what felt like 0 of 7 in the first quarter of the game. And the rest of the team maybe had less field goal attempts combined than he did. So, like, I'm interested to watch Mezzi when it comes to his career arc. I feel like this is a pretty big year for him. Uh, yeah, I'll take it a step further. I think there were moments where he'd become frustrating because he was really looking to get his. And I think he was better when it was just in the flow of the offense and, and obviously what he provides defensively. So, um, What does he provide defensively? Well, I mean, I think the length and passing lanes, team defense, he can be a good player. I mean, obviously he's not a solid defender, but I think he can be if he's got better defenders around him. He's a guy who should be able to flourish in a system of team defense. And I think that's something you're betting on. So as James brought up the Nigerian national team, like you could see moments of that that look different than what he is with the Sacramento Kings. And so I am a little bit more of in the belief of that. Like if you can, if you can have, be a good team defender as opposed to a one-on-one defender or just getting lost in the pick and roll, which you know happens quite a bit. Um, that those are some of the things I would be relying on if he's on the team. A lot of times, if he's just trying to be the guy, look, he had to play a role because they had nobody else. You know, trying to be a stretch four, trying to be this guy who's going to just chuck and show that he belongs. Like I get it, and I do agree with you. Like this is a make or break year for him. But I think every year he's gotten significantly better. Like, he's doing things that I didn't think he would. I, I mean, I didn't think he'd be much of a factor when he first. Uh, landed in Sacramento so uh, this is growth this is good for him and I think this is I agree I do think this is a make or break year but I think he can be an impactful player away from the basketball where he's not just scoring the ball I think there are moments that he does shine in that it's interesting they kind of have like two diametrically opposed players at that position like Trey Lyles and Chemezi Metu they don't do the same things at all you know one is a high flyer uh, that, you know, uses athleticism to get away from with, you know, making mistakes that he does. The other is, you know, very ground-based uh, power crafty, player. Crafty, crafty. Yeah, crafty. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Chemezi's not a great passer where we've seen Lyles. You can actually run the offense room for a short burst. Uh, neither one of them hit the three like they should be able to, but specifically Lyles. Lyles should be a really, really good shooter, and he hasn't been great. Uh, or he, at least he wasn't with the Kings. So I, I just think it's interesting that we're seeing two players that are going to fight for minutes at the same position that don't look anything like each other. I, I, again, I think if you, you're you looking for a, a, a guy who can cut and you know put on a highlight reel, that's met to. If you're looking for a guy who's just really solid and doesn't make a bunch of mistakes but struggles with more athletic players, then I think Lyles is a guy that, that can fit a role as well well from what you just said right there like in my mind the lyle's archetype that you kind of just laid out is clearly the guy that you look towards between the two like it, it, they're just filling a role i'd rather have a guy that's hitting open shots because how often last year like i struggle to see a lineup where you can have fox and sabonis and metu out there like like Sean said, Metu was kind of filling a role that maybe isn't the most ideal for him. He, he talked about how like the team was telling him to get those shots up, pretty much. And like he shot 30%, 30.6% on three attempts per game last year from beyond the arc. Like 
he's just not a good three-point shooter. And there's at least that's where it was last year. And hopefully he can improve in that aspect. But teams were completely ignoring him. Like, even if you want to look at his game winner, that corner guy maybe was like, there's a reason that he came off of Metu to help on the De'Aaron drive. Like, it's great that Mezzi hit that shot, but there are serious spacing concerns when it comes to Metu being on the floor with Fox and Sabonis um, that Lyles doesn't have in the same way. Like, I, I think as a guy that you're just looking for a plug and play eighth or ninth guy, like, I'm definitely putting Lyles over Metu in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, there was a game I remember last year where. Chemezi had nine shot attempts in the first quarter. And I'm just like... Only one? There might have been a couple. What is happening? And then there <laughs> were a couple of games where Lyles had like 12 points in the first quarter, but it, was, it wasn't it was on nine shots. It was like refined. And so I, he is the more stable of the players, but, you know, Metu still has that ability, especially if you're playing off of Sabonis. Like, he is a good cutter. He is... He understands some of those things. And he's got a lift that, you know, Lyles just doesn't have. Some athleticism that can change, you know, a little bit of what's happening. I mean, if you're going up against Memphis and, you know, they're going to run uh, Brandon Clark out there, I might want Chemezi Metu to, to see if he can stick with Brandon Clark. You know, if you're looking at that more physical player or that more athletic four that isn't a three-point shooter coming off the bench, that makes a lot of sense that you would have – you know, pick and choose who you're going to play one night. And then, you know, because I, I don't think they, they're they going to expand and have like an 11-man rotation or, or even a 10-man rotation on most nights. They're probably pretty tight. Um, okay, so th- that's interesting because we, you know, like in going through these, I think we covered just about everybody. Like, uh, except for Keon Ellis, we didn't cover nearly enough for Brendan. Um, Not even close. Is, the, 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 entire, the entire next episode. Did you get your <laughs> tattoo yet? Yeah, no, no, my front shin, do? my front shin is still uh, not, not I taken. I think you're gonna do like over your right, over your heart, over my heart. <laughs> I was thinking of a face one, like Keon on this side and Ellis on the other. I don't know. I'm still working <laughs> it out. I'm still it working low, it out. I really thought it was lower back, but <laughs> I could uh, see it. Keon across your neck. <laughs> uh, the one guy we didn't talk about, and, and maybe there's others, but we didn't really touch on Alex Len. And I'm curious where you guys are at with him. Like, if Holmes was moved on from, are you comfortable with Alex Len as a backup center? Because I feel like he gets lost in all this. And I, I think he's a solid backup center, especially when you're considering that, like, one of your two potential all-stars is one of your starting centers. Like, there's 33 minutes a night for Sabonis so you're what talking 15 left over for Alex Len and I, I think he could play that backup role but I feel like he's kind of got lost in all this partially because there is a lot of center depth currently on this roster but how do you guys feel about him Sean um it, it's tough because I think in order to get the best version of Alex Len he needs consistent minutes he has to be a consistently a rotational player this bring him in every break in case of glass uh, break glass in case of emergency where he comes in every third or fourth game and he plays for 12 minutes or whatever that's just wasting him so like I'm comfortable with Alex Lynn to a degree I I always say I think you can do better um but I you know I also I think we're I think we're getting to a point too where I think there's going to be some acceptance of Rashawn Holmes being back on the roster so um 
I think that's probably this. Like, yeah, if if Rashawn Holmes is, or excuse me, if uh, if if Alex Len is the backup center because Rashawn Holmes is gone, you know, I still think again you can probably do better. You might be able to find somebody. Um, I don't know. I, I I criticized the move of him coming back. Um, wasn't really all that into it just because of the way the roster was compiled at that point. Now. I th- look if he's there and he's your guy, great, that's fine. Um, but I'm just not convinced Rashawn Holmes is going to be gone. So I think that to me is more worrisome than whether or not he's going to be your consistent backup center. If you know what I mean, like if if you've got both of them, like to me that's hmm, that's a little bit more of I just don't see Alex Len being a factor or even you know other than a practice player. So and a solid vet to to kind of be able to go to. But I think again, I think the impact that he can have is greater if he's a normal rotational type player. It's funny. Uh, Brendan's getting uh, Keon Ellis tattooed on him, and then uh, Sean's going to have, like, on his forearm, I think you can do better. Like <laughs> I know. I'm, so, <laughs> I'm such a dick. <laughs> uh, here's what I'll say about Alex Lynn, and it kind of mirrors what Sean says, but I think there's a specific reason why I think this way. You have to play Alex Len consistent minutes or you can't play him at all because Alex Len, for whatever reason, is not a player that that can stay in game game shape. He's a player that takes a long time anytime he's either got COVID or he's got injured. He always takes a long time to get back on the floor. And even when he is back, We'll see him at practice, but he's still a month away. So if you're not consistently using him, he becomes like the Tin Man, you know? Like he just gets like really creaky and it's hard to get him going again. So if you're not going to play him, then you almost don't play him at all. And I think that there's a better chance of him not playing at all this season or very, very sparingly, especially if Rashawn Holmes is on the roster. And I, I think there's even a higher likelihood that if Holmes is on the roster and something goes amiss and it's, you know, a short-term injury thing, that we'll see Namias Keita over Alex Lynn. Just because I think it, like, the breaking case of emergency thing with Alex Lynn is, like, you got to break that thing, like, two weeks in advance and, <laughs> and, and hope that it will be ready. And, like, this isn't a knock on Alex Lynn. I think it's more about his body and just the way like his body reacts to injury or to illness or anything else. So um, that would be my concern. And so I, I actually think there's a higher likelihood that we see uh, like Kata play than we see Alex Len play, especially if, you know, Rashawn Holmes is still on the roster. Cause I mean, we know Sabonis is going to eat all those minutes. Holmes is a more versatile player. There could be a game here and there where, you have to go to Alex Len just because you're playing against some monster that gets your guys in foul trouble early. Uh, but I don't see him as a major piece to this season. But then again, I, stranger things have happened, you know, definitely. Yeah. Worst case, just throw Keon Ellis at center and you'll be fine. I, I think that is the answer to everything. No, but to like, I know you're tongue in cheek there, but like I would even see a point where Trey Lyles was moved over to the center position for for short stints over some of these other guys just because he's big and strong you know he's a hefty guy that can probably he's probably more of a four or five right now than he is like a four 
And so I could see him actually eating some minutes, and he's a guy that you can actually run a little bit offense through, where yeah. the other guys aren't really that player at this point. And Nimi is one of those guys that could be develop into that, but you want to get him as many minutes as possible at the G League level. Um, okay, so outside of that, we have we have a couple of things that are happening in, around Sacramento. Um, number one, uh, the Sacramento Republic. Congrats to Kevin Nagel and that entire organization. If you missed Wednesday's game, that was absolutely nuts to watch a, a game go full like 120 and be a draw and have to go to PKs. And then to watch the PKs that, that happen were absolutely spectacular as well. Uh, of course, they did not miss. Uh, and the I think it was the fourth PK. And is that Foster? I don't even really know. Yeah, I know Malik who, Foster. Yeah, I know who Roro is, but uh, like the, the Paneka. Yeah, I've never even heard of that until I'm not a soccer guy. Yeah, it was holy awesome. Holy <laughs> cow! I mean, I, I'm a guy who coached soccer forever. If one of my dudes did that in a PK run, um, like <laughs> he he would find himself not practicing for the next couple of practices because he'd be running laps the entire time. Um, but that was so incredibly cheeky and amazing. And then you to just watch said him cheeky, cheeky yeah, is well, the perfect word for that move. It was, it was so cheeky. You're like, Oh, I can't believe he just did that. And it was just gorgeous. Like he hit it just perfectly. And then he hit the back backflip after in response he, to the previous backflip. Yeah. It yeah. Was yeah. Um, uh, Sean, were you there for the event? I was there, man. Yeah. It was a, as was Monty McNair, by the way. Um, yeah. Monty McNair was sitting there. Did right. you go hang out with him? And no, I left him alone. He had his uh, his family with him, and and, oh, nice. and he was having a great time. Yeah, man, like his kids were into his kid, his daughter was really into it. She's flying the little Republic flag, and they had a you know a great time. Um, there was, <laughs> I, I will say this: there was a you know there's been a long turbulent road for the Republic and and try to get into MLS and and all of that. And I think this is a great moment for them. And I think I think that night was not only incredible like i'm not the we all know i'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world but um that was a unbelievable atmosphere you can still see that there's still support within the community uh especially when it comes to something like mls you can tell that there's still a a hunger for it Um, people still want it they would support it um but to see man i'm so happy for a guy like rodrigo lopez i mean he was the team think about this guys like the team's first player that they drafted, uh, they brought in, uh, and and they made a big that the, they were staking their claim to Roro, and they won a championship that year. And he has that amazing moment in the championship game and helped get them there. Him and Tommy Stewart, and then this is his third stint with the club, and he's had some just amazing moments in the biggest histories, history of not only their the of the franchise. But you just think of what it, what what some of the these moments mean to just sports in Sacramento, and he's been a huge part of it. And he's he's come away like think of it. He's thirty five years old, man. Like in this tournament alone, he's got. I, see, and then this is my you know, when you think about soccer, PKs aren't goals. I get that, but he was tied for the lead before that PK with goals in that tournament alone. So there's a thing called the Golden Boot Award. Like he's yeah. going to get that. He's getting he's 35, man. Like this is crazy. So he's been so impactful. Um he he's meant so much to that. I mean, when I think of the Republic, he's the first person I think of because he's had so many moments like that. And yeah, Malik Foster had the Paneka, the the, the cool little moment we were just talking about. It was crazy. 
but it's Roro that hit the the defining penalty kick. And of course yeah. it was him. Like, of course it was him. It's always him. Like He's the guy that always gets these moments. And he, he just delivers. He has a flair for the dramatic. And uh, to get them here, Rodrigo Lopez and, and, and um, uh, Felipe, Felipe he's, they've been phenomenal. And so the, both of those guys have carried this team. Here they are going into Orlando. Man, I don't think it's going to shock anyone to see them take down a fourth straight MLS opponent, man. Like, I just you kind of expect it at this point. Now, we heard that there was a there were two potential buyers in the stands. Oh, yes. What do you think? I know a lot about this, and I um, will be having – I'm – Oh, come going on, to have, Sean. No, no, no. I cannot. <laughs> come on, Sean. Here, and here's why. Here's Spill why. It. Here's why I cannot do that. Well, not, it's not that I cannot do it. Here's why I'm choosing not to do that. Because, James, what did I just say? These fans have been tortured, bro. So tortured. many times it's gone wrong. So it, many times. Like, you've had a parade in Sacramento, a rally where you've had your lead investor. You had Don Garber, the MLS commissioner. You've had all these people holding up signs. Sacramento, Gavin Newsom's right there with them. It's like, you had a done deal. Right. Look, I, I've always said, I think, uh, look, the Burkle pulling out was, albeit albeit terrible, we know this. Uh, I think certain people had been planning for that, and finding another lead whale investor is tough. I think this is Daryl Steinberg's KJ moment, and I think that they're prepared for it. Like, not prepared, but they were prepared. Look, they were blindsided. We get that. Mm-hmm. But there was a you can't tell me they weren't like not surprised, right? Like there was a moment where I think you can have both. Like you're blindsided by him pulling out to a degree, but I think it was always in the back of their mind and you might have a contingency. You might need a contingency plan. So um, there's some, there's some interesting people and I hope in the coming days that we'll be able to put some light onto it or, or I will be, I know that like, I hate being the guy, oh, I know something you don't know. I don't like to be that guy. But <laughs> I just know with how this has been and so many false starts and so many so many boy who cried wolf moments with this club and this and MLS, um, I, I just don't want to excite anybody because really they're not there. You know, they're just not there yet. But there is interest. There's significant interest. And it's not just, you know, one organization or two. It's You've got... You've got some real heavy hitters, and um, yeah, there, there's some things. Look, I, I this person, these people didn't show up with bags around their heads, so that's one of the reasons why I might want to. You know, they weren't, they didn't have, fuck, they didn't have masks on their, you know, where they're showing up and trying to be anonymous. But they could have also just disguised it to say, "Hey, we're just here to see a cool game," and that isn't the case. There's, Ooh. there's actual interest, so. Ooh. We'll see, man. You're so annoying. Just say I know, it. I'm sorry. I didn't know we were going to go down this road, so <laughs> I have to really be careful. <laughs> write it on the paper, Sean. Car yeah. ramrod. Car ramrod. Ram ram car. <laughs> he won't. He doesn't know that. He doesn't. Have you I seen Super Troopers? No. Oh, oh come on, meow. Um, <laughs> I, he, I didn't, s- he doesn't even catch that reference. He nope. didn't. Leader of nope. Cola. Come nope. on, meow. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Can I get a leader? I'm totally lost right now. Oh my gosh! Okay, that's uh, that's on bad. your list. Super Troopers on your list. I it's have a not, whole yes. There is a list right here. Un- Super unpopular. Troopers, you'll bust through. You'll be like, oh, okay, that, un- that I uh, like. Almost un- famous licorice pizza and Super Troopers. Unpopular take. Super Troopers is funny. It's not for everyone. 
I loved it, but it's not like funny. something about Mary. No, because no, that, that one is universally so, funny. Yeah, that is funny as hell. <laughs> like there, the, something about or, uh, Super Troopers is like a comedy style that I don't not not a, I don't think it appeals to. It's kind of it's a little bit different. Like if you think of Wes Anderson films, right? Like they're they're brilliant. Yeah. I don't think they're for they're not for everyone. No, Some people not. go, I don't get it. There, there's people that just don't like that type of humor. So. Oh, of yeah. course, Wes Anderson. Wes, is Wes a- Anderson, obviously. Oh, yeah. there we go. Yeah, of course, he has of course. no idea. No. <laughs> he has no I mean, idea, man. The Royal Tannenbaums is is a like a ninety five out of a hundred rated. Rushmore, movie. Rushmore might be my favorite one. Rushmore has great. no idea what we're talking about. But we should like, just probably move on. You guys friend. make me feel old. I don't like, understand what's happening. Here. These are not Life old Aquatic, movies, man. They're not. Life, <laughs> Life Aquatic is great. I didn't think great. I didn't love that, but I did love the Grand Budapest. The Grand Budapest Hotel was spectacular. Um, I live under a rock. Uh, yeah, I, I think you do. Uh, okay, let's get let's get to the business of basketball. Bum bum bum. <laughs> my, my favorite is how deep you get into your mic right there. The yeah, he gets really close. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean we're just having fun here. Uh, and, Always. You know, there. Um, of course, I was on with D'Lo uh, last week, all week, and he actually broke the news that Vivek Ranadive was uh, potentially buying the the River Cats. So again, this is like all Sacramento stuff. Um, and it seems like it's getting closer and closer. Now we have maybe even a dollar figure. What was it? A hundred million. We heard that there might be, that might be the number to, to get uh, the River Cats out of the Savages' hands um, who currently own the team. That's not like some weird savages yeah i'm not just making some weird random reference uh that brendan wouldn't get at all um the the savages the savage family actually owns the team um it it sounds like it's it's probably going to happen i'm not quite sure why that vivek wants to invest in the river cats versus maybe like getting an an interest group to buy the Sac Republic, although I don't think that would happen because there's some infighting behind the scenes that has been going on forever that I don't think that would fly. Um, but it kind of leads to a, a different question. Uh, this is something that they hit me with on, on ESPN 1320 the other day. Is Vivek Ranadive a good owner? And would him buying the River Cats be a good thing? And I think it's it's an interesting question, and it's sort of like the business of basketball question. And when I talk about the the ownership of Vivek Ranadive, it's it's confusing. Uh, it's complex. There's there's so much to it. Where you know you're on one hand, the team has lost for nine straight years. They've been completely chaotic behind the scenes. There's been all kinds of you know stressors and. Uh, you know, micromanagement and mistakes. But on the other hand, you walk downtown and there's a beautiful Golden One Center and a Doco and a giant, you know, Sawyer Hotel and a whole district downtown. So it's hard to judge. Is, is he a good owner? Is he a bad owner? Is he somewhere in between? And I think what I came up with, in my opinion, is that he's not a very good owner but he's also not a bad owner. There are bad owners in professional sports. There, there are owners that do things that are just are bad. You know, Robert Sarber, we've heard all that stuff. You know, we're seeing with the commanders in the NFL, um, you know, uh, uh, James Dolan in New York. There are bad owners, but this, I don't put 
Vivek in that category because he has done an incredible amount of good. I just don't know that him owning something else is actually a good thing as well. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? I would say he's well-intentioned, and I think he's – I would never call him frugal or cheap. Yeah. I just really wouldn't. So because of that, you're far from the worst. And, you know, taking over something like the River Cats, which – uh, is AAA baseball? It's a Giants affiliate. I know he's a Giants fan, uh, and I know that, he, yeah, this is probably going to happen. And I think yeah. you're just in the dotting of t- dotting of I's and crossing of T's and figuring out what the amount looks like. And it's something that we've heard about for over a month, um, and just really are. I had expected this to be brought across the finish line already. So for that standpoint is something that is a reason why I just haven't really gone with anything. Um, because there's also a lot of people that just don't want to talk about it. So there is a little bit of question in my mind of just curiosity. Of course, I don't want to be wrong. Um, but it's something that's lingered. It's, it's rumored across the internet for quite a while. Um, and I, my whole thing is, you know, the only question I have it's it's great. Hey, if you if this keeps Rivercats in Sacramento, I know affiliates. It's it's rare. I don't know if people know this, but like it's rare for a minor league team in the history of the Rivercats. They got here what ninety nine two thousand something like that uh, when they opened up. They've only had two affiliates. That's you know people don't realize that, that is so rare. Minor league affiliates change all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it it's entirely possible six years from now this could be a Colorado Rockies affiliate or something like that. Like it's it's very possible. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully it remains Giants or it goes to A's or whatever. Um, I think it's easier. It's not just me being a Giants fan. I know a lot of A's fans were pissed when the Rivercats became a Giants affiliate. But to that, I'd always say, well, you you know, at least, I was at least pissed. you do. Yeah, at least you do have. Uh, you know, Stockton is still a even though it's Class A, it's still a, an A's affiliate. So you're able to have kind of both of them in your backyard, so to speak, and. I know it's Class A, but the but the river or excuse me the A's would treat they would send rehab assignments there all the time because it's a little bit closer to Oakland and, and mm-hmm. to the East Bay. So sometimes it just worked out a little bit more favorably to send them to Stockton as opposed to Sacramento. But you you want to get if you're going to have somebody who's going to be for an extended stay like a like a week a three four five gamer thing, especially if it's a pitcher, you'll send them to Sacramento. You're going up against upper echelon opponents. If it's someone coming back from an ankle injury or calf injury. Just send them to Stockton. It could be a one-off. So, um, I th- I always thought it made sense. I thought it was fine. And f- you know, for me, selfishly being a Giants fan, it was great to have the Giants right here in the backyard. And you're seeing guys that are big league players, not only just come through here, but guys that like you're looking at Elliot Ramos, ready to just ready to come in. You know, this guy probably hasn't gotten off to the start that he that he want wants to, but he's a top five prospect, and he's right here in your backyard. And you'll have Marco Luciano coming through and Kyle Harrison and. Unless they get traded for Juan Soto, so fingers yeah, crossed. I'll say I'll that. get traded. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, like it's if this keeps them as an affiliate and keeps the River Cats in town, like you know, let's face it, it's been some tough sledding over there coming out of the pandemic, and they haven't had they had to lay off everybody and bring everyone back, and you know, minor league players don't make a lot. So uh, if this is able to sweep in, I just don't. I don't think that the notion. Of people trying to connect dots like oh this is going to mean major league baseball in sacramento like no but if it keeps triple a baseball in sacramento still and, and keeps the river cats thriving i'm all for it behind the scenes and how the sausage is made sometimes it gets a little rough but um i would say to answer the question i think or 
I would say yes. I think he's a fine owner. I think it's fine. I, I think again, my T-shirt. You could do better, maybe. Uh, certainly, there's there's better ownership groups that are out there. But I think he's well intentioned. I don't think he's cheap. But I'll take it a step further. Why? Like I just, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why. Perhaps what the motivation is, except for being, hey, I'm a billionaire. Who, uh, this is why I'll never be a billionaire. Well, it's not why I'll never be a billionaire, but among the reasons why, like you try to understand billionaires and they're collecting their fortunes and their their money and their cars and their companies and investments and all these things. Like, I I don't see that being a great investment, and I don't understand why i don't understand the motivations as to why you would want the river cats um but again like if it's just something to just add to your portfolio sure i guess i mean have at it have fun i think they'd i think it's going to be more stable than what was there prior because you just have deeper pockets so i think anyone who's a fan of the river cats or the you know in baseball in sacramento you should probably applaud this because you've got a guy who's got uh, a little bit more uh he's got not only deeper pockets but he's got equity in the community so if you're streamlining some of the sports um franchises in sacramento and you, this if this keeps them cemented in sacramento a bit longer great i i think that when it comes to vivek as an owner like all the criticism when it comes to the kings has been with his on-court decision making like who he decides to bring in or uh, players that maybe he overrides general manager's decisions and, and kind of the decision-making when it comes to the on-court product. So in my mind, Vivek taking over a AAA team, you don't have that same issue. A, a team that is already looking up to the and following kind of the orders direction from the San Francisco Giants. Like, I just don't see how that same issue could translate to the Rivercats. And like Sean said, he, he's got... Uh, some decent pockets to them. So in my mind, I, I don't exactly admittedly know what makes a good and bad owner, but I think that you would very much, it would be clear if a Vec fell into the bad owner category. Um, so it, like I said, admittedly don't have the most clear vision of what makes a good and bad owner outside of the specific basketball decisions that we've seen. So I, I don't see why, Taking over the River Cats is, is something that, in my mind, is is a bad thing, um, and I'm planning on going out to a few more games. Not specifically because of Vivek, but just want to see some more of the Sacramento sports scene. Yeah. Okay. So I would say this: um, like when you buy a AAA baseball team, it's kind of like buying a house that's fully furnished and it's a, it, a turnkey house in a nice neighborhood. So you walk in and you don't get to make baseball decisions, like all that's done by by the parent club. Um, so really, what we're talking about: will he invest in basics there? Will he like allow the staff to do their thing and all that? And so I think that there's very little like things that can go wrong wrong here. I, I agree with you that he's got deep pockets. Um, I, I wish that we were having the same discussion about the uh, the monarchs i know that like there has been plenty of chatter behind the scenes that the monarchs are closer to coming back than people think i don't know if that's going to be the case like it, Hope so. every every time i hear it then it gets kind of shushed and like when you try to chase it it kind of goes away um, and then it comes back in some weird way but like i've heard plenty of times that it's 
close that there is a possibility for the monarchs to be back and that again vivek would be a primary investor and and bring back the WNBA to sacramento i think that would be tremendous i just think you need a few more sporting options in sacramento i think having the republic become what it's become is amazing i wish they would have got their stadium built and all that stuff it seemed it feels like they missed out on opportunities like the kings did in the 2000s to really the early 2000s to really like solidify who they were in Sacramento and and keep the team here without having to go through relocation and forced ownership change and all that. Um, I I think that there was a point where this thing had everything lined up and it all fell apart as far as the the Republic. And so I hope that that gets done. I I don't see anything wrong with Vivek owning the AAA team. I think it, you could have synergy between the two brands well, and I, and I don't that, think I don't think one's going to preclude the other. Like, like yeah. if anyone thinks that the river, his investment in the River Cats, is going to take away from a pursuit of the WNBA, then that's not true. You know, like yeah. especially, and if you're for WNBA coming back for Sacramento, great. You should be. Uh, I am too. I want the Monarchs back in Sacramento, and I think the most encouraging thing is that the Commissioner's Cup, which is an in tournament, <laughs> in turn in season tournament that I'm not a fan of for. Uh, for for the WNBA, but they had one, and and Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner, said, and there's going to be expansion in the next couple of years, uh, possibly two teams, and she rattled off uh, a slew of cities, and Sacramento is one of them in terms of Sacramento expressing interest in in landing a WNBA franchise, and obviously Vivek Vranadive would be a part of that, so hopefully that yeah. can still come to fruition. Um, he talked about it when he took over ownership, and talked about it when he was. Uh, buying the Kings and, and wanting to be an, a, the, the primary governor for the Sacramento Kings. He talked about how the Monarchs were there. Granted, we're, we're quite a ways into his reign now where the Monarchs haven't happened, but... Um, I, but the WNBA didn't expand for a long time either. Long And actually, they, they contracted. And it's, it's probably... Yeah, no, they did. And, they're, and it's probably, it's, in my opinion, as popular as it's ever been. So yeah. this, this, is, this is kind of the striking while the iron's hot. Is that, is that the right word to say? What, yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah, this is this could be that moment. Brandon, did, you got something? I do not have anything on the Monarchs. Admittedly, undereducated on this topic. What happened when they initially left? Did they, they go to a different city or they just didn't no, exist anymore? they just anymore? closed it down. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, unfortunately, some of the greatest WNBA franchises ever are gone. So, like, the Houston Comets are no longer in existence. Although they did relocate, Right. right? And yeah, I think was, they really so did Detroit. Twice, and Detroit as well. So these are like some of your storied franchise from the beginning in what the late nineties, right? That's when the WNBA started. Yeah, it was late nineties and then yeah, by they won the championship and then two years later they were gone. So two thousand five, right? They they won the championship. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. That was it was it was a lot of fun. You had and you had like a, the pioneers of the WNBA. You had some of the greatest players to ever play in the WNBA right here in Sacramento, and Yolanda Griffith and Ruthie Bolton Holyfield and uh, Tisha Penichero, who's Tisha Penichero, un- yeah. unbelievable. So Carol Lawson, yeah, yeah. I mean these, but but more so. I mean those are Hall of Famers. Like those those three right there. Yeah, are the all, first three. They're all oh, Hall totally. of Famers. So yeah. Um, and and Ruthie, or excuse me, Yolanda was just. I mean, it was her One and Lisa Leslie players. and Tamika yeah. Catchings. Those were the three bigs in the league that were just unbelievable. So, yeah, um, yeah, man, I, I can't wait to see the WNBA back. I, I was a huge – I like, I liked women's college basketball. I still do. And so me 
becoming a you know a fan of covering the monarchs which which was a lot of fun it helped me grow as a journalist and it was great because a lot of media in town and y'all know who you are <laughs> you you really thumbed your nose at the WNBA and it was not a good look for a lot of people and a lot of even organizations they just did not want to cover them didn't see the worth in it they they didn't even want to cover them at arm's length and then when they had to during the championship run because it was just too too relevant to turn your nose up at or turn a blind eye to um they they i think hopefully that moment showed a lot of people but it's just unfortunate that you know the maloofs you know they had to do what they did and uh and shutter the franchise after that because of you know to save money and not uh you know they 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 didn't they didn't become the uh they were they were the millionaires living in the billionaires world at that point yeah yeah it's interesting i i've covered one river cats game i went to a game they treated me so incredibly well they walked me all over they had basically someone show me everywhere um i asked for two players and it was michael choice and sunny gray who were like super super high end prospects at that point I got both of them for like five or six minute interviews on my own. There was no one else covering. And like, I don't really have a platform where I would continue writing River Cats, but just the experience itself was spectacular. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I love sitting there at the ballpark and taking it all in. It's hot. You know, Sacramento's Dude, it's hot. Baseball. Baseball's a long day to cover. It's a long day. I yeah, get I'm asked covering. a lot. They go, if you yeah. could cover anything in the world, like what would you want to cover sports wise? And I'm, I'm, I always give it a lot of thought because, like, I always say football is probably the most formulaic, where every day you're doing the same thing. You know what to expect any day. To, you know, baseball's the one where you get there four hours, four, five hours before the game starts, and it's just the longest day. Basketball's pretty quick, man. But if you go to shoot around, that's a long day. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I think it's baseball is so interesting because I, when you're so used to writing basketball, you know, you have to have everything planned out and then it teeter is sometimes it teeters in the last minute, right? You can have like your your lead change five times in the in the final minute of a game in basketball. In baseball, a guy ropes a home run to, you know, take the lead in the ninth inning. You you can rewrite your story in the next two pitches. It just takes so long, especially when you're used to the pace of basketball, that you're like, okay, I got it rewritten. And then your story is ready and ready to roll as soon as the game ends. It's just a different feel. You do batting practice, it ends, and then you have like four hours before anything. So you could write six stories and not even be pushed. Just like, okay, this is what I covered. I, I got one-on-ones with this guy, this guy, and this guy. No one talks to anybody. Everyone, when I was at the A's, everyone's just standing there in the locker room, but like standing there, not going over and approaching players. And the players are very approachable, like have no problems having conversations with you. It's just totally different. It's so much different than basketball. Basketball is so regimented, you know, at 515. Well, AAA is different. Yeah. yeah baseball is different than, than the NBA in general, but AAA is vastly different from the NBA. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, but like baseball, I mean, basketball, just so people know, it's very regimented. If we have a 7 o'clock game, 5.15 every day the head coach talks. At 5.30 the visiting coach talks. During pre-COVID times at 5.45 they let us in the locker room and we're in the locker room from 
uh, 5.45 until 6.15, and then 45 minutes uh, later the game starts. So it's all regimented on when we have access. And that's just not the case. Well, I mean, there's still well, baseball is too. Players. You've got your you've got yeah. your baseball field and your open clubhouse, and you know your batting practice and open clubhouse. If they do it, sometimes teams won't do their their batting practice, but you have to have an open clubhouse, much like yeah. much like the uh, the NBA does. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun, man. Football, you know, football is the same thing. Guys come out, and if you get there super early, guys come out, they warm up. Sometimes they might you can pull a guy aside for a chat, but usually game days for football are off limits until post game. Yeah, crazy. All right, um, that's that's going to be a wrap, I think. Uh, okay. Do we have any final thoughts, uh, Brendan? We'll start with you since you're you're kind of left out of the baseball conversation. I think that we need to call it clubhouse instead of locker room. Is my takeaway from this entire thing? It's a way cooler name, and I think that's all I got. Well, and in hockey, they call it the dressing room. Uh, I don't know about that one. We're gonna go with clubhouse. Yeah. Well, the dressing so- room. Dressing room in hockey. Yeah. That's well, what, that's your, here's another your terminology. Here's another interesting oddity in baseball. When you're addressing the manager, you cannot call him coach. It's like a faux pas. You're supposed to call him like by his first name or I don't use his name or I, I don't know exactly what the terminology is. <laughs> hey, you. But I, you're supposed I've to say like, heard. hey, Bob. Bob I've always I've always refused to call a baseball manager skipper or skip. It's just it's silly to me. I don't like skipper. That just well, doesn't sound. I don't think I've ever heard someone say, "Hey, Skip." Uh, so oh, no, you didn't lots. play Loriano. Oh, really? Lots. Yeah, man. Lots. Okay. I don't, like, I don't get it. I, I've never heard someone say, "So manager." No, it, it's usually no, no, no. Oh, I see. You're saying from a media standpoint. I know players will call their manager skipper all the skip. Oh all the no, time. no. I mean, yeah, from yeah. a media standpoint, you're not supposed to say so, coach. Nah, you know, just name, just name. But we're so used to it at the NBA level that you know you do. Well, in the up, football, in football too. Oh yeah. my gosh, some guys you better call him coach. Some guys do not. Mm-hmm. You you would never go up to Nick Saban and just call him Nick. <laughs> you, yeah, he's going to expect mean, you to call him coach. I think that it's interesting because sometimes you're like. I would call Luke Luke or Alvin Alvin, but right. at the same time, there are times where, so coach, you know, you got this going on, what's happening, type deal, and it that's just not allowed in, in baseball. Everyone in the room looks at you like you did not just say coach, like um, sorry, like I'm used to basketball. It is what it is. You do it once and then you learn. So I, that's, that's a I, rookie move. I, I was unsure at first with basketball even of like with luke and alvin am i allowed to say luke and alvin or can i say coach and kind of just say like mr walton no yeah. don't don't do that yeah mr no, brown right he'll, he'll think he's in uh reservoir dogs reservoir dogs is a quentin tarantino film from the 1990s <laughs> brendan i've heard first. the name i think i know of a quentin tarantino or something like that oh no yeah. <laughs> Sean, do you have the any final thoughts? Yeah, the homework assignment's just gotten bigger. You know, it's oh man, more to do. man. Final thoughts? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. I'm just glad to be done with camping, uh, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> I guess I'll say there. Yeah, that was fun. If anyone watched News 10 back in the day, talk. Think of this: all the old heads from News 10 from like the past 30 years, even longer. I mean, you're talking like guys like Dale Shornack, Brian May. Um, Ryan Yamamoto, um, George Warren, Dave Marquis, Mark Hedlund, Kevin Tanzi, guy, and then you know photographers that you may not have seen and, pho- and producers you may not have seen. But yeah, man, they all get together in the woods 
just and, just the like dudes. A reunion. Oh there yeah, there's no like Lisa Mendoza out there. You mean Christina Mendoza? Christina Mendoza. No, yeah. no, no, no. Well, no, and it's it, it's very Men of News 10. That's what we call it. It's the, it was the <laughs> Men of News 10. And and the reason, it, I mean, again, it's uh, it, it, it would be co-ed, but unfortunately, you know, people's, you know, a lot of wives and, and significant others would probably not be cool with that, which means some people can't show up. So it's very much a boys club. It's the Men of News 10, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And... Uh, uh, even though they like to get together in the woods, and I, someone called, someone told me I, I like glamping. It's I'm not camping. I'm a I do glamping because I said hotels are camping. Um, I realize I, I was a Boy Scout, mind you. I did I, I did I did do Boy Scouts. For a while. James looks confused on glamping. glamping. Oh no, I know what glamping is. Okay, yeah, I would I I I'm, I became sour older when I got older, and I just I never really loved being dirty, <laughs> and I don't like sleeping on the ground. So, and you know, I can do camping. I love camping. I can do it for one day, maybe. I don't want to do two anymore. You than don't that. love camping, Sean? Don't love it. No, I don't <laughs> love it. I love, I love the the, I love the theory of camping, like the idea of it. But the execution of it is like, I'm not going to waste all this money and buy all this gear that I'm going to use. One, I just can't get it in my head where I'm going to go purchase a sleeping bag and a tent. And that's the other thing. I'm looking at these old guys. They're, they're literally setting up tents and it's taking them hours and they're just getting pissed off and I'm just like what is wrong with this picture so what did you did you sleep I, in I slept car? in my car yeah I slept in my oh. car yeah I slept in my car which was <laughs> very, awesome. it was very enjoyable and, see as a uh, kid I camped all over the place and like we went all the way to Canada no, camping like, I've camped everywhere and I don't my boys don't know camping at all I, I hate bugs I don't like dirt I think I took four showers before I finally felt clean <laughs> not doing it man that's amazing so. But it was also like I call it camping, dude. Anytime you're camping twenty minutes from a Starbucks, are you really camping? <laughs> I mean, I joined you guys on the podcast. I went into a Starbucks for crying out loud. That's so true. is That's that true. really like I think picture camping like you're miles from civilization from you know civilization? I don't know. That's interesting. I've done I've done snow caves. I've been in a snow cave in my life and, and set up our own snow cave and did that. Like I did that in, when I was in Boy Scouts for five minutes, and then I was like, "Yeah, this is not for me." <laughs> but the 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 snow the snow thing was it was a cool experience. There's no chance in hell I'm doing that again. So just give me a hotel. I'll take a you know nice little four star hotel or an RV. RVs look cool. I do that. I've I've stayed in an RV before. Could you I'm put up a tent, Sean? Yeah, man, I'm good at it. Like a dome tent, not those ones that have like a fucking like six. You got like six rooms around <laughs> yeah. it. That, that ain't happening. I can't do that. But if it's like a traditional like dome tent, dude, I'll have that thing up in like five minutes. Yeah, gotcha. me too. Me too. Yeah, like growing up as a kid, like boom, we would pop out. Yeah, the it's easy. Everywhere. Some yeah, of yeah. them have again. If you have like this bedroom, <laughs> like, some of them have like a second story. Are you out of your and, mind? And they no. don't, especially if it's cold. Those never warm up. It's like horrible to try to warm up one of those like multi-room tents. Then you're always freezing. Or a dome tent usually heats up pretty quick. Um, all right, uh, I don't know what happened here where we we got sidetracked. <laughs> you, t- you um, said, Sean, do you have final thoughts? And I went off. Sean went off As on we do. some it's tangent, some weird random thing. I can't final thoughts, com- James? I can't wait to read the comments. Comments final will thoughts. be entertaining. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, number one, thanks for everyone who showed up for the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour. It was a, a great time. Uh, if you're you're not showing up to those, uh, you're totally missing out. It's it's really worth the seven dollars a month to be a, a premium subscriber uh, to the King's Beat. 
Um, I mean, it's like half the price of going to a movie, and there hasn't been a good movie at the theater in a long time. And oh, this is true. Stop. Yeah, it's one of those things where you can show up and and it's cool, and you're in your house and you're drinking, and we're drinking. I know one guy tried to drop the mic and accidentally hung up on himself. I <laughs> saw a dude. I saw a dude <laughs> do an absolute bong rip. Do we know who we're talking about? Oh, I didn't see it during oh, the yeah. I during the it. off the record. Yes, man. Oh, oh I did see this. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, my guy, look at this. <laughs> my guy, no shame. Well, no wow, no shame. Well, hey, but I fine. say, I say, my guy, I don't smoke. But I was like, let it go, man. Let, that's amazing. You're, it's, this is your time. So. Yeah. See, I, and it's off the record. Everyone's like hanging out. We told, we tell some great stories. Uh, some, like, some really interesting stuff. I, people learned a lot. I think last night. Uh, about deuce about you know the media world again so if you're not doing that if you're not showing up to the the virtual happy hours you're totally missing out um, we all and, hate you if yeah, you're not a premium not? subscriber no, we're not, we don't hate you like oh, it, it is what it i is. do yeah i do me and Sean. okay <laughs> uh let's see number two um we cracked 2,000 subscribers on youtube so again if you're watching right now on youtube and you're new to the show or you haven't subscribed before give us a thumbs up uh, go down below and uh, and subscribe. And uh, outside of that, uh, stay cool. Um, we're going to keep rolling with the show. Um, we're probably going to bring in guests in the next couple of weeks just to liven things up because it is the dog days of summer. But we're almost to the end of July, and this thing is still rolling, and we're happy to have you here. So uh, thanks for tuning in to the King's Beat Podcast. Uh, for Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham, and of course... Brendan Nunes. Yes. From the oh, King's Post podcast. Whack. And, and the King's Herald. <laughs> that was whack. That better um, happen every time, damn it. There we go. I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. We will see you next week. <laughs>